This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point. Let's recite together. The Apostles' Creed, this is our statement of faith, this is who we are, what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. I just put some eye drops in my eyes before I got up here. Now everything's blurry. <laughs> you all look really weird. So I can read this this morning. Hey, we want to keep in prayer. Obviously, many of you have heard about the uh, shootings in our down in uh, what is El Paso, and then last night again in Dayton, uh, nine people were killed. The police responded in less than a minute. They just happened to be there and shot the guy, or he could have killed hundreds of people. People want to know, why do these sorts of things happen? I know a lot of people are going to be you know, screaming, you know, we need more gun control, but <laughs> there's so many guns out there, it would be virtually impossible to get rid of them all. And besides, what are you going to do when people go nuts and start stabbing everybody around them? Which happens. It happened here in Wisconsin not long ago at some place of worship. You know, you're running out all the knives and, and forks and whatever, and then people get in their cars and run people over. What are you going to do then? I mean, so, I, you know, people say, well, they think the answer is more laws. I kind of think they're breaking the laws already, right? Like killing people, that's kind of against the law, right? And that doesn't seem to impact them much. So they're law breakers. Why do these things happen? Because there's evil in the world. There just is. Uh, what should we do? Walk around in fear? Well, you should be circumspect and aware of your surroundings and stuff. But this is why we pray, deliver us from evil. Why? Is because there is evil in the world. Sometimes nations become evil and we go to war. Uh, and even if that's not happened, there's still evil that is amongst us. And we need to pray uh, God's protection and grace over there. Anyway, so remember these people this week. It's very sad uh, when these sorts of things happen. Uh, heartbreaking. But uh, thank God for our uh, police that respond in, in situations like this. And uh, I took this guy out. really surprised about Texas, you know, doesn't like every other person have a gun in Texas, I mean, nobody could take this guy out, right, nobody was, was armed, 
uh, certainly motivation for those who do carry, but it was just very sad. There's just evil, folks. It just, it is what it is. This is not heaven. I don't know if you've noticed that, all right? We want to get to heaven, but we're not in heaven now, and we live in perilous times, and I'll tell you what this world needs more than anything is for people to have a renewed heart towards God and righteousness and doing good things. We are the nation that forbade our teachers to talk about any kind of morality or God in our schools. And now we have generations of young men who do these horrible things, who quite frankly have never been taught, thou shalt not kill, and or any other kind of moral thing. So they, they get caught up in their own little crazy worlds, uh, and it's just sad. So uh, this morning, after that depressing word, I'll just <laughs> give you some encouragement. Uh, I got a very simple message this morning for uh, this first Sunday in August. We're still in vacation time and people enjoying the times with family and friends. We want to continue to do that. Uh, very simple this mor- message this morning. I want to read from Luke, the 24th chapter, and it's starting at verse 13. Now, this is uh, the weekend that uh, Jesus had been crucified, um, and this was quite the shocker for his disciples, obviously. They thought he was going to be coming to set everything right in Israel and become the conquering Messiah. He will come again as the conquering Messiah. And the Old Testament talks about two versions of it, the suffering Messiah or the conquering Messiah. They didn't really see the difference. And obviously what they wanted was the conquering Messiah to get him out of the grip of the Roman Empire. They come into Jerusalem. Everybody's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm branches. By the end of the week, they had arrested him. They had crucified him. The one who had raised the dead, the one who had walked on the water, the one who could control everything and anything is dying on a cross. This is horrifying to them. They don't understand what's happening. Uh, he dies. Uh, and then on the third day, that Sunday, some of the women went to the uh, tomb, saw an angel, said he's risen. His disciples went and checked it out. So we pick up the, the story now. Uh, two of the disciples, not apostles, but of the of regular disciples were on a walk. And it says that same day, this Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. You can well imagine, at the top of their minds. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you guys discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they, they didn't see him. And he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? So now Jesus is talking to them. I'm not sure who they thought he was, but how does he know all this stuff? And 
he starts to explain to them, looking into the Old Testament prophecies and showing them the difference between the suffering Messiah and the conquering Messiah, and that the suffering Messiah had to come first. So, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, seven miles later, long walk, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Who does that sound like, right? Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And boom, he disappeared from their sight. This morning, I want to talk about what that's like when Jesus disappears from your sight. And why is it sometimes it seems as if Jesus disappears? My brother Ed, Bishop Ed, often speaks of this idea that God loves to play hide and seek. Uh, but it's a game that's rigged. It's a game where he wants you to find him. Okay? And uh, the older you get in your faith, the tougher the game gets. Um, Jeremiah wrote these words. This is, this is the Lord speaking. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And again, it seems like the longer you do this, sometimes the game gets harder to play. But it's like that, you know. I'm sure many of you parents have played hide and seek. The game changes over the years. When they're two, you kind of hide in plain sight. You know, that's what hide and seek, and you're hiding behind something like this. And the little kids go around, ah, there you go, you found me, oh, how'd you do it, you know. And, and it's just really obvious, really easy, and the correlation is very clear. Early in your faith, it seems like it's really easy to find Jesus, right? You just look at all, and there he is, and it builds your faith, and it encourages you. But the older you get, the tougher the game gets. And if you've ever played hide and seek with a bunch of adults, that's a hard game. Because these rascals find some place that's really hard to find them. And you've got to sit and think, where in the world, if I was them, where would I hide? And the game gets increasingly more complex. And this is true with our walk with God. Um, but don't get discouraged when it seems like God is really hard to find. Always remember, the game is already rigged. He wants to be found. Again, he says, you will find me when you seek with me, seek for me with all of your heart. Three uh, thoughts on that this morning. First of all, sometimes God is found in ways you would just never expect. We read in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, uh, about Elijah the prophet. And Elijah was basically complaining. And if you read the com uh, context, you know, he had pretty good reason to complain. <laughs> you know, everything's going bad. Uh, everybody's trying to kill him. That's always a drag. <laughs> when everybody, you know, is trying to kill you, that's that really, you know, who do you invite over? You know what I'm saying? It's just... This is bad. So he's talking to God. My life stinks. Where are you? What's going on? And the Lord, he hears the Lord say, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Here comes God. So Elijah goes out there. 
And then a great and powerful wind tore the, through the mountain, smashing everything, shattered rocks. I mean, it must have been quite the wind. But Elijah could tell the Lord was not in the wind. As dramatic as that was, you think, well, this has got to be God, right? But God wasn't in that. After the wind, there came an earthquake. And you can imagine how things were rocking then. Quite dramatic, the kind of thing that we would think God would show up in, right? Big. But it says, Elijah could tell the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, and I'm sure it was dramatic. You know, they're not saying a whole lot of detail here, but when God sends fire, it's not usually just, you know, flicking his bick, you know what I'm saying? Things smashing, and as dramatic as those three events were, even God wasn't in the fire. And as Elijah stood there waiting, after the fire came a gentle whisper. And as soon as Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave because he knew God was there. Sometimes he shows up in the ways that you just least expect. A lot of times we expect, when we ask God to show up, we're expecting him to show up in a particular way, right? You're asking him to show up because I need you to do this now. And... Uh, sometimes it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that God's not there. Sometimes we just got to listen and look and see. And sometimes God will show up in ways that really will kind of surprise you and you're not expecting at all. Secondly, sometimes God will show up and be found in some of the most humble of places. And here, we can't help but think of the Christmas account. We've got shepherds out in the field living in the fields nearby. This is in Luke, the second chapter. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now, a lot of people say, man, I wish I could see an angel. That would be so cool. Apparently not. Because every time this happens in the Bible, it freaks the willies out of people. You know? I mean, these are people who never saw a light bulb. And all of a sudden, ah, you know, ah! Just scare them to death. Seriously. If an angel just, first of all, just walking around the house, you think by yourself, and the cat comes out of nowhere, he can scare you half to death. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Much less, you know, as you turn around, there's some guy, you can imagine how horrifying this is, uh, scaring them. Now, the Bible actually says there are angels that live among men, and God actually sends angels. Now, most of the time, they are hidden. Uh, and that's why the Bible says, always be nice to strangers. Because some have entertained angels unaware. Some of the weirdest, you know, it might be some guy begging on the side of a street. And like, Who's this scummy guy? It could be an angel. You don't know. You don't know. that the, because As a result, we should always, always be nice to people you don't know. Be nice to people you do know, too. But I mean, when you don't know, you, you, you don't know. What was an angel? So it doesn't look like an angel. Well, how do you know? You ever seen an angel? Apparently, they can wind up showing up just like regular people. But when they pull away the mask, <laughs> apparently, it's quite the shocker. So they were uh, terrified. And verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's what they always say. 
You would think they'd get a clue, you know, this, you freak people out. He says, don't be afraid. I, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. Now, they've been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. This is a big deal. The Messiah, the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, as if it wasn't bad enough, that one guy pops up. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appears. Ah! And they're all saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. I really hope there's instant replay in heaven because I, I got to see this. These poor guys freaking out. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, <laughs> let's go see. <laughs> let's go to Bethlehem, see what happened, what the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and this baby, the Messiah, the King of kings, Lord of lords, whom you would assume would have been brought in great splendor into the earth. Even if Jesus had been born in the most comfortable Glorious palace mankind has ever known. It would have been a serious step down from heaven. But not only does he do that, that he goes way below that. And is in a barn, in a manger. He's, mangers are where critters are, with all the critter smells. Man, it had to be a shock. God Almighty popping up. <laughs> Whoa, what is this? Sometimes God shows up in places you just wouldn't expect, not just in ways that you won't expect, sometimes in places that you won't expect, and it'll flat out shock you. And then sometimes, number three, God is even found when you think all is lost and God just isn't going to show up. You know what I'm talking about? There's a point sometimes where you think, it's too late. I've prayed, I've cried, I've done everything I can, and now we are in a situation, uh, you know, maybe financially you're failing and it's a shocker to you and you're asking God for help or physically you're failing. Who knows what trial and tribulation people go through, all kinds of things. And you're standing in faith and you're reaching out, but then there's oftentimes a point where you think, he's not showing. He's just not going to show. And you become very discouraged and disheartened. We read about such a scenario, and there's so many of them throughout the Bible. You know, from a human perspective, God has horrible timing, <laughs> you know, because he shows up when you think, you know, a little earlier would have been nice, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we celebrate the great victories in the scriptures, right? You know, Daniel in the lion's den, and the lions are saying, we celebrate. The bad news is he got thrown in the lion's den. If I'm Daniel, I'm praying God intervene before they throw me in the lion's den. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and then they're throwing me, oh, God's forsaken. No, he hasn't forsaken, even though it seems like all is lost. We read recently about Paul and Silas, how they had been arrested and severely beaten and thrown into prison in stocks and chains. And in the middle of the night, God comes and sets them free and we celebrate that God set them free. The bad news is you got arrested. You got the snot kicked out. I mean, they, when it says they were severely flogged, can you get a picture of that? Flogging, I would think, would be bad. Severely flogging, this is another level. I mean, they just got their backs ripped to shreds for only disturbing the peace. 
That was a crime. I talked about that what, last week or the week before. People don't like it when you disturb their peace, and there's laws against disturbing the peace. And in 2,000 years ago, you disturbed the peace, you'd really get a severe beating. Uh, we say they were persecuted for the gospel. Well, in a sense, with the truth, as far as the magistrates were concerned, this wasn't about the gospel. I didn't care about that. All their problem was they had disturbed the peace because they had preached the gospel, but uh, severely beaten. And we celebrate the fact that God shows up at midnight and sets them free. That's the good news. The bad news is you just had a really bad day. We often talk, I often talk about the miracle of Lazarus. This is the greatest miracle Jesus had ever performed. Here's a man who's been dead for days in a tomb, rolls back the stone of the tomb. He yells, Lazarus, come out. He comes hopping out. It's like the mummy. And it's an incredible miracle. It's the most dramatic miracle he had ever done. And we celebrate that, you know. Praise God he raised Lazarus from the dead. The bad news is you got to be dead first. If I'm Lazarus, I'd really appreciate you showing up before I get to the dead in the grave part. But even in some of the most horrible situations, God still shows up. This is an encouragement. We read about this in Daniel's book in uh, the third chapter. He's writing about three Hebrew young men. I often call them the three, three Hebrew children. I don't know where they get the idea of children. These, these weren't children. These were men. And the Babylonians or whatever gave them different names. And they had given them these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're looking for a name for your baby, don't, don't call him that, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Uh, these were three righteous Hebrew young men. And Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of this place, was a, uh, <laughs> a psychopath. And he was an egocentric maniac like the world has never seen. And these people actually begin to think of themselves as gods because they have so much power in, in the world. So he passed this law. Actually, he was kind of tricked into passing the law because these guys knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys they hated, wouldn't obey the law, and then they'd get killed. So the whole thing was structured to get rid of them, but um, Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of clueless, but they come to him and convince him, man, you're so amazing, you need to pass this law that, uh, you know, uh, this great image, uh, whenever the band play, kicks up, everybody has to bow down and worship this, this image. And, uh, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow. Everybody hits the ground as soon as the music kicks in, you know, and they, they drop down and uh, the king comes and it's pointed out to him that these three guys aren't bowing. So the king comes and talks to him because he likes these guys. These are favored young men, very highly educated, very talented, uh, as Daniel himself was. Um, and uh, he's trying to reason with them. Said, "Listen, guys, you got to bow, or you get killed." And and the prescribed death was to be thrown into fire, a big fiery furnace. So he takes the time. He likes these guys. He has a good attitude towards them. He reasons with them, which is really amazing because usually they, do, they wouldn't try and reason with anybody. They'd just kill you on the spot. Uh, and then after hearing from the king, we pick it up in verse 16 of the third chapter of the book of Daniel. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. We say, yes, 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 they knew. No, they, they didn't really know. 
because the very next uh, words, he says, he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand, but the very next word he says, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, they didn't know what's going to happen. God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I mean, they, they're looking death square in the face and a pretty nasty one at that. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude, which had been positive, toward them changed. He ordered that the furnace heated, be heated seven times hotter than usual. So he's, he's really mad. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Now, this is a job you didn't want to get picked for because uh, to get to that furnace to throw these guys in, they had to get very close. And uh, it says, so uh, these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other cloths were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. So these guys died just getting close. Can you imagine the heat? So why wouldn't they stop? Because the king told you to go. And they did not mess with these people. If you disobeyed the fear, you know, we don't think God, we don't live under this kind of tyranny. But if you disobeyed a command of the king, they would kill you in some of the most horrific ways known to mankind. They wouldn't just kill you. They would kill you slowly and painfully and rip you to pieces. It was horrifying. We remember when we talked about Paul and Silas being arrested and, and, and all of a sudden the doors pop open and the, the jailer walked up and he was ready to kill himself. Why? Because he knew if they had escaped under his watch, better to take your own life than fall into because these guys were. So these men kept marching toward heat that had to be just searing their faces and arms and legs. I mean, can you imagine? So much to the point that they all died. They got close enough to, and then the three guys fell into this fiery furnace. And there it was. And, uh, and then King Nebuchadnezzar, who's just furious and he's, these guys got what they deserve. He goes, oh, he wants to look and see their charred corpses. And King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? See, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was really that sharp. You know, I think I would remember, yeah, there were three guys. I was just talking to them with the weird names. I gave them the weird names. Weren't, weren't there three? Didn't we have three guys in there? And, uh, and uh, they replied, uh, certainly, your majesty, I would be scared to death of being an advisor. Right? You do anything or they kill you. Ugh. Yes, sir. <laughs> three. It was three. Whatever number you said, sir. Yes. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods, more likely the son of God. So talk about a situation where you think, this is it. This is over. These guys are burning around. People are dying. And you're getting so close. And I don't know at what point they didn't feel the heat anymore. But can you imagine when they were initially coming towards this thing and they fall into this flames and they 
hit the ground and they, they're walking up and the uh, ropes that they're tied with burn up, but they weren't burned. And they turn and here's a fourth guy with them. God was there with them. Uh, here, you know, wow, 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 wow. Again, timing, not my favorite scenario. All right, I would hope he shows it way before. You know, if they have a law like that, I happen to be in Tahiti or something. You know, the Lord protect me from that. But no, man, they go through the whole thing, the sentence, the humiliation, the dragging, going to their death. And then, when it seems totally lost, God shows up. So this morning, I just want to encourage you with a very simple message this morning. Don't get discouraged when it seems like God is really hard to find. So why does he do that? Why does he disappear? Because he wants you to go looking for him. There's this connection that God has with people. And, and he wants those who really desire to find him. And remember, it's rigged. The game is rigged. You will find him. You know, he's going to be in a place where eventually you're going to stumble. There you are! Uh, because really, if God wanted to hide, I'm pretty sure none of y'all could find him ever. <laughs> what do you think, right? You know, he's on Neptune somewhere. What are you going to do? But he has it rigged. You will find him if you seek with him. Seek for him, he says, with all of your heart. Again, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me. It's a rigged game. When you seek me with all of your heart. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what situation you're facing. Maybe God feels a million miles from you. He said, I felt so close. And all of a sudden, like he's gone. Why is he gone? Because he wants you to spend the time, put in the energy, the prayer, whatever it takes for you to go looking for him. He wants you to pursue him. The good news is you will find him. Because the game's rigged. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward and serve communion this morning. We read in that opening account how Jesus was with these guys, and then he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them. Jesus had done this so many times. And that's when they recognized him, just before he disappeared. And he told us, he told his disciples, to continue to do this. Take this time when he took bread and wine at the Last Supper, and he tied the correlation. This represents my body. This is my blood. And uh, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is what all of this is about. About celebrating the fact that God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus into the earth to die for the sins of the world. That if we put our faith and trust in him, he would forgive us for everything wrong we've ever done. And if you are listening to me this morning and you've never truly surrendered your heart to Christ, whether you're at one of our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point here, or the people all over the world who are watching us on television and on the internet. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, if you will seek him, you will find him. I'm going to pray a prayer together with all of us. I'm going to ask you all to repeat this prayer with me. And if you'll open up your heart, you can begin to experience God's love and forgiveness in your life today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, today I am searching for you. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. Make yourself real to me. Amen.